Welcome to episode 114 of the Startup Show. Today, I'm here with the CEO of Ringe, Mark Welder, and we talk about digitalization, we talk about innovation and everything that goes around in Switzerland and China and all around the world. Make sure to stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 114 of the Startup Show. Today we are here at the headquarters of Ringe in Zurich, and I'm very excited to meet with Mark Welder, who is the CEO here at a multinational company. As you know, we usually only feature startups, but sometimes we make an exception <laughs> for visionaries, for people who are very big in the digital world. And Mark, you're definitely one of them. I'm very excited to have you here on the show. Um, but as usual on the startup show, I don't want to go away from this tradition. Maybe you give us a short introduction about yourself. Thank you very much. My name is Mark Walder. I'm the CEO of Ringier. Ringier is an international media company. Tell you in a second what we do. We have our headquarters here in Zurich. We have about 7,500 employees. Uh, we come out of publishing, so we have about 130 newspapers and magazines. And we completely diversified and transformed the company. We spent roughly 2 billion Swiss francs into new digital business models, most of it uh, marketplaces, digital marketplaces mm -hmm. in the sector of cars, real estate and jobs. We also do e-commerce, we do um, radio, we do sports marketing, we do ticketing, etc., etc. Actually, it feels like a startup you know, <laughs> uh, to uh, transform a publisher into a digitalized media company. It feels a little bit like a startup. Sure. I mean, you know, I read a little bit online about you. There's a lot to read, but um, you used to be a tennis player. And then you made the switch into, let's say, the corporate world. I'm 52 now, and um, actually, yes, I was a tennis player between uh, age 18 and, and 28 on the tour. Better in doubles than in singles. I was traveling the world for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, obviously, didn't make enough money, <laughs> uh, so I still have to work. Right, very good. So, you know, um, what you do here at Ringe is, um, is, is quite interesting because you have so many publishing outlets that you're already um, in place. But maybe you can give us a short outlook in, let's say, in the next, I would say, five to ten years of like where you want the, to ship or direct this big ship in which direction? Maybe in three steps. Ten years, actually, in this room, um, when I was talking to the, we're a family-owned company, when I was talking to the three shareholders, we were doing 100% of our operating profits were publishing, mm -hmm. so newspapers and magazines um, on paper. Mm -hmm. um, and I told them, look, if I see what kind of tsunami is, is ahead of us, then we better have to transform and diversify mm -hmm. and do it fast. So today, after those 2 billion, we are close to 70% of our operating profits that come out of digital business models, so from zero digital profit to 70%, meaning that only 30% is left mm -hmm. for publishing. Where will we be today in five years, as you say? Uh, probably above 80%. On one hand, this is good because we did the transformation. On the other hand, of course, a whole industry is under immense pressure, the publishing industry, the newspapers and magazines. One example, when I talk to the French investors, there is not one single newspaper that is still profitable in France. Italy looks about the same. Switzerland, we still do have uh, newspapers that make money. Germany, of course, as well. But you see a downturn of minus 10, 
minus 12 percent uh, revenues each year advertising minus eight minus nine percent mm -hmm. revenues down each year so it's like actually it's like a line that goes like this what does this mean for our society what does this mean for people how do they inform themselves um, sitting on Facebook mainly and, and consuming news on Facebook is, is another big topic which mm -hmm. would take a whole evening to discuss, but it worries me quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you talked about the transformation. Maybe you can elaborate how you see, let's say, the media world in the next couple of years. To be a bit provocative, we have no idea. We have absolutely no idea. I'll give you a couple of key thoughts. Um, Downturn print, I just mentioned, minus 10, minus 12 percent, just keeps on going. On the digital side, we do have two problems. First of all, the good thing is we have more readers for our brands. And again, we have 120, 130 brands, more readers than ever. We would have never thought that we could have that many readers. Problem, how to monetize it, how to make a business out of it. Now, content out there is for free, mainly. Um, if you're not the New York Times, it's really hard to charge uh, users money for what you offer. Yeah. News is kind of a commodity. Journalists don't like that. But if you have Trump giving a press conference, there is so many ways you can actually consume or read or inform yourself <clears throat> about the press conference. If you have a soccer game, there's so many ways how you can actually read about the soccer game, that it's almost a commodity. Meaning people are not willing to pay, first problem. Second problem, advertising market. Even though you have millions of eyeballs on your platforms, advertising market shifted completely to the two big platforms, Google and, uh, uh, and YouTube on one side and Facebook on the other mm -hmm. side. If this is the whole advertising case, let's just talk for the US, and this is 100%. 80% goes straight of this advertising spendings go straight to Google and uh, Facebook. Why is that? They have better data quality. You know, yeah. They can track the user better than publishers can. So we are in a very, very uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's go a little bit away from, let's say, Ringe um, itself. We are, you also have one of the investment arms of, let's say, Ringe Digital Ventures. Um, and you see also like sometimes of interesting, let's say, acquisitions uh, that you would say like maybe they're a little bit, let's say, out of the box, let's say for, you know, mainstream, let's say, publishing house. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit what, what your goal is, let's say, specifically, you know, startup show, the startups, what, what kind of startups are you, are you interested in and what are you looking for? I think on one hand we did big, um, and then I come to the startups, uh, we did big acquisitions like in marketplaces or ticketing where you have prices that are 12 to 15 to 17 times current EBDA. Mm -hmm. um, so then you land at 100 or 200 million valuation tickets, which is of course high, which is strategic, which is good. The venture arm we created, like many other media companies, by the way, not only media companies, I think most of the companies do have venture arms now, to actually see the trends, to meet the real entrepreneurs, to find best talents, to feel how fast the market is evolving in different industries. And there we go quite broad. What we think is, are there consumers in, involved? It's, it's mainly B2C, first point. Second point, can we help them in any way uh, with uh, marketing, with um, visibility, with even data? Is, are there ways that we can help these companies to grow? Third point is what we do is, 
we go into minorities. Uh, so it's usually between 10 and 12%. We're trying to work very, very pragmatic and precisely on media for equity. Mm -hmm. So we put in media. We have a variety of almost any media you could think of. And it works very well. We let the entrepreneurs do their job. They are the business owners. And we're just stepping in whenever we think we can help, we can boost, we can connect, we can bridge or whatever. But is there, let's say, a specific niche that you would say like no. is interesting? No. no, I would say we are quite broad there. If you look at Ringier Digital Ventures, you see the portfolio. I think it's 12, 13 companies at the moment. Always, as I said, we take a stake of 10 to 20%. We're quite broad. We don't only look at Switzerland, that would be quite a small market. Yes. So we're trying to see international players who say we want to leverage Switzerland because it's, it's, it, it's not a bad market, or players that come out of Switzerland and want to leverage themselves uh, internationally. So it's, it's both ways. So one of the biggest projects that I know that you're involved in is Digital Switzerland. And Nicola Bureau, who actually made sure that I can come here today, he was also a guest once on the show. Um, he was an entrepreneur himself. Yes, yes, with Movu and many other things also. My question is, though, why, why did you feel, let's say, you know, Switzerland needed something like, let's say, digital Switzerland? What you know, was this moment where you said, like, we need to do something? I try to, to cut it short. Um, first of all, this country feels absolutely no pain. The country is doing well, GDP is okay, politically stable. On all the indexes we see, Beat innovation index, beat competitive index, IP rights. Mm -hmm. we're, we're fine. So there is no pain. And where there is no pain, usually people fall asleep. And my fear was having lived through this as a media company, it comes around the corner and then it hits you harder and faster and in, in a more radical way than you would have ever thought. Yeah. Three years ago, this is the anecdote, um, I was uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos and I asked five CEOs um, if they would join an initiative where we actually take care that the high positions Switzerland has in economic um, indexes now um, is guaranteed for the future mm -hmm. as well. While we were already seeing clusters popping up, like in Berlin, Tel Aviv, I've visited uh, Tel Aviv several times, London with the fintech sector, of course internationally Singapore, and at the end of the day you always you know, land in the Silicon Valley. So I believe very much in these clusters and in this domino effect where you actually see if you bring in startups, if you bring in venturing money, if you are good in regulating startups, meaning they need to have the freedom in terms of taxes, how long does it take to build a company or to, to, to actually sign for a company and to have the setup for a company, does this take two months or 24 hours, etc., etc. Even going into topics like education, and, and science, there is a lot of need. Mm -hmm. So those five CEOs said, yes, we do it. And then I said, would you pay a check because we need some money to build this organization. Uh, by the way, it's 50,000 francs. So it's not that much for big companies like a UBS or Credit Suisse or so. They all said yes. That was three years ago. Today we are 100 members. Basically every large Swiss company is being a member and we're working closely with the government, we're working closely with the startup scene, we're working closely with the investors, with science, with education and it's become I think a, a great initiative. Mm -hmm. Now to be a little bit critical about this, I mean like to be a member and to be digital is something different. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Maybe you can elaborate 
when you say like, you know, like become digital, what do you mean by that? Like can a CEO decide, okay, now we are digital and then they're actually digital? Is it a branding game? What, what is it? No, no, I, don't misunderstand. They are members to fund basically the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And we're not, in, in the first place, our job is not to help a bank to become more digital. But a bank can input um, what their needs is. A bank can sponsor, like the Kickstart Accelerator mm -hmm. we did. A bank can uh, touch a lot of people with digital messages, etc., etc. So what they actually do is they create an ecosystem of exchange, initiatives, finance, bridge to startups, etc., etc. And there's a lot of things going on. Let me just outline maybe two things. First, and this is Let's not underestimate the society. Yeah. The normal people, not the startups who are going to, or the, or the opinion leaders who are watching uh, your blog now, which I think is, by the way, an entrepreneurial masterwork. I really congratulate Thank you. Thank you. So it's the normal people. It's my mother. It's um, my daughter. It's um, your mother-in-law or whatever who are afraid of this. So this is one thing we're taking care of, that the whole society is being taken on the journey seeing digitalization as a chance. We did the digital day, yeah. uh, the first digital day ever in Europe, here in Switzerland uh, last year, big success. Second thing, we do have an advisory board for our government that is taking care of regulatory issues, infrastructure, data, science, education, uh, society. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of things where we actually get things on the ground. And our latest uh, focus now is, of course, the Crypto Valley in Zug, where all of a sudden we see a cluster is building in the domains or in, in the fields of blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. So huge opportunity again for this country. So we're trying to help the entrepreneurs, we're trying to help the investors, we're trying to consult the politicians, what should they do now, etc. Mm -hmm. This is roughly what we do. You've been traveling forth and back between Switzerland and China. Um, many people, you know, claim that, let's say, the focus shifts a little bit from the Silicon Valley away to China. And uh, maybe you can give us some impressions about like what you experienced in China. My latest trip was uh, to Guangzhou just before Christmas, um, four days. Guangzhou is about two hours from Hong Kong. Probably nothing new for, you know, people here watching, but to put it really briefly in one sentence, from a copycat nation, yeah where they were fast in copying things, becoming an innovation leader. On this conference where I was, it was um, Pony Ma, Jack Ma, it was Tim Cook who was speaking, and they all were really very much driving the conversation into we are the next innovation mega hub, and I'm mm -hmm. convinced that they are. Look at mobile payment, and then I go again down to society, because society at the end of the day creates the talents, you know. Yeah. Mobile payment in China has within 18 months seen a curve that is so steep that now even the beggars on the street accept mobile payment. This is not to make fun of, uh, of beggars, but it tells you at which point in society it has been accepted yeah. and it has really deepened. So this is just one example. Virtual reality, machine learning, artificial intelligence, these things are huge yeah. uh, in China. And I think we should take this very serious. We as Europeans, I'm saying now, because we have here the US and we have here China. I always say if this would be a soccer match and the first half would be now and we are, we're sitting in the locker room 
and we're seeing, we're looking at the result. What's the score at the moment? It's about eight zero for the U.S. in regarding to Switzerland. We're just about to go out for the second half. But while we go out for the second half, there's already China waiting on the on the line of of the field. One more number. If we look at the 10 highest valuated companies in the world, seven are tech companies. Mm -hmm. Out of these seven, four have the raw material data, the top four, by the way. And if we look at the 30 most valuable tech companies, the 30 most valuable tech companies, none of them is European. That says all, I think. Sure. When we go back a little bit to Switzerland, I think um, over the last couple of decades, we were able to really, you know, be a world dominator in, let's say, financial services. Where do you see, let's say, the next domination where we could really become, let's say, world dominant in a certain area? And the follow-on question I'll tell you already now will be, how can we get there? <laughs> well, how can we get there? I think I'm a good observer. Um, that's, that's about it. Yes. And it's already good if you observe and if you feel basically, you know, where, where should you be in three years? Mm -hmm. Now, to come to your point, I think to be very precise, um, there's a couple of opportunities for Switzerland, but the biggest one at the moment is definitely what's being built around the city of Zug, mm -hmm. the so-called crypto valley. I mentioned before, yeah. blockchain technology, a cryptocurrency. I think that's just about at a very critical and crucial point. I talked to Uli Mauro, who is the Minister of Finance uh, in yeah. Switzerland, last week at a breakfast and he said, we are setting the stage now in these weeks and months that will be crucial, whatever we do now, for the next two to five years. So it's always within a couple of weeks, within a couple of regulatory decisions, big, I would say, shifts can be made. I hope we do the right thing. It would be fantastic for this country to have this, I think, quite unique cluster here in Switzerland, that's one thing. Second thing where we're very strong still is science. We have two unbelievable tech schools here, tech universities, mm -hmm. so it's the ETH of Zurich and it's the EPFL in Lausanne. Mm -hmm. Both of them top 10 tech uh, universities. That helps us to have a lot of innovation going on. Now, don't forget Google. Google is ramping up their employees in Zurich from, I think, 1,500 two years ago, up to 5,000. So it's the largest, I would say, cluster of Google outside of the US. And that shows you Zurich is a very strong place in terms of engineering, tech, AI, deep learning, etc. What happens here is um, before our uh, meeting today, I asked on social media, on various channels, if anybody had a question uh, directly for you. We got a couple of questions. Mainly I get them uh, through my WhatsApp group where I get people who are highly engaged with my content. A friend of mine, his name is Valid, and he lives here in Zurich, and he asks the following. How is Ringe contributing to the ecosystem for startups to push digitalization in Switzerland forward? Examples, platform, taxes, networking. Personally, as I said, I think my job uh, for Digital Switzerland is relevant to this scene. Michael Ringe, my chairman, always asks me, when he writes me an SMS or a WhatsApp, he always asks me, are you working for Ringier today or for Switzerland? So it shows you <laughs> I spend a lot of time uh, for this initiative, Digital Switzerland. I think that's what we do. Uh, as Ringier, I think you talked about Ringier Digital Ventures. Yeah. 
Uh, I think these two um, answers would be fair to say we are contributing what at the end is going to help us again. You know, mm -hmm. the better the better this place here, this 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 area of Zurich is, the better for Ringier, which still is had its headquarters here mm -hmm. in Zurich. Mm -hmm. I'm adding a bonus question because we got we got so many questions. So I want to ask one more, which I really like the question from uh, Philipp Heim. He the question came in through Facebook, and he asked the following: Why are we still waiting for the Spotify of newspapers and magazines? <laughs> that is a perfect question. That is probably the most relevant question uh, for the media industry, and this is way um, above Ringier. So. I don't know. I mean, if I, if I knew, we could have maybe done something. But this, this is a fundamental question. When I talk to normal people, how they consume news, until five years ago, they were re reading newspapers. Today, they get the news online. They all say, I would like to have kind of a platform where I can, with micropayments, just pick whatever article is interesting for me. And of course, then with artificial intelligence, learnings on data, you know, you get to the articles that actually are relevant for you. Yeah. And we, the media industry just didn't, it just doesn't exist. So it's a, it's a very relevant question. It's not here. I don't know why it didn't work. There is a couple of examples. They didn't make it really. By the way, one of them is Blendle. Blendle is very interesting. I'm a customer of Blendle, which is a little bit kind of the Spotify of the newspapers, but of course not with mm -hmm. the leverage, not with the reach. Sure. Um, so thank you very much. Make sure that if you want to ask uh, future guests in the hot seat to subscribe to any of my channels, can be WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, and make sure to follow me there. Best way to foster innovation in a multinational corporation top-down. In 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> be a role model as, as a CEO. Be a role model. Do it. Get things done. Um, uh, bold moves. Uh, fast change. Speed. What would you recommend your children and why? Entrepreneurship or corporate? <laughs> I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I became a manager. <laughs> um, maybe, it's a good question, but maybe follow your heart. Follow your heart. Do what you like and you will be good. What are the biggest challenges of an international CEO? In today's world, the change is so fast that you can almost not absorb all the learnings you have to do day by day by day by day. We have had a management conference now and just to keep up with all the information, with all the changes delivered through digitalization is just very, very, very demanding. And I'm just saying, We shifted from having a job to a lifelong learning curve, and the curve is being steeper and steeper and steeper. So open eyes, open ears, try out things, be online all the time, check out everything, just, just be very much awake. Mm -hmm. Last one for this Q&A. Who is your role model in the startup world? Now, quick disclaimer, you cannot mention Elon Musk because he was mentioned too many times. <laughs> <laughs> the startup world. I tell you a very surprising answer, maybe. My role model is still a person that was a great entrepreneur before digitalization has arrived. It was Nicholas Hayek who died um, mm -hmm. several years ago. He was the guy who brought back the watch industry yeah. to Switzerland, then founded the Swatch Group, today one of the biggest watch groups uh, on the planet. I met him as a journalist. And from then on, we had regular meetings, meetings, meetings. We talked, we did not always do interviews, but we just talked. He was a great entrepreneur, thinking out of the box, 
courageous, radical moves, he, he still is kind of a role model. And he built Swatch. He built Swatch plus a whole <laughs> huge company. Plus you So now, uh, Mark, is your time because, you know, we have a lot of uh, students who's also watched that show. Um, maybe you can give, you know, many people maybe see you as a role model, um, you know, making it big in the corporate world, CEO of a multinational. Maybe you can give one expert advice um, that you feel like where you have the wisdom to give over to the next generation. Work hard. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of work. I believe in work, get, get things done, get shit done. Don't plan on your career. Yeah. Um, if you do your things well, it will just happen. Good. I think uh, we, we'll end it with that quote to get stuff done. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, everybody who tuned in today. And stay with me and Mark all the way till the end of the show. And stay tuned for next week in the preview. Have a great day.